Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hello, welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name's Jamie. My name's Caitlin. You're doing your sexy radio voice. I'm a ghost that hides in the walls and <laughs> tries to raise you. <laughs> I'm a I'm a sex ghost and, with and, a face mask, and I'm a hot young ingenue who's Ooh. good at singing. Ingenue code for pray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for that. So, okay, this is the Bechdel cast where we oh, talk yeah. about the portrayal of women in movie inspired by the Bechdel test, which requires that two women in a movie have names. They talk to each other, and their conversation has to be something about something other than a man. Grow up. Never happens. Never. Happens. <laughs> Never <laughs> once in the history of cinema. <laughs> This is an episode I feel like we've been talking about doing for at least six months. Yeah. Well, because once every two to three episodes, you find a way to mention it. Because <laughs> I love to shoehorn in shoehorn a shoe- Schumacher? A Schumacher mention. This is our second episode of a Joel Schumacher movie? Third? Yes. So, um, I think only the second. We did Flatliners, and that's it. No, and we did Bat... Oh, no, we didn't. No, that was a Tim Burton Batman. (sighs) Okay. Well, lots of Schumacher undertones in this podcast. I love a mediocre man. That's why I will always be like, you know what? If it's a Joel Schumacher joint, sure, he deserves another chance. Absolutely, he doesn't. But he's he's like five million years old. He's going to be making movies until he dies, and we just have to get used to it. I... Love how mediocre Joel Schumacher is. He is just emblematic of just infinite chances for kind of no reason. I agree that he's mediocre, and I hate him for that reason. So we have I oh man I I on that. right I mean I generally mediocre men are not okay for some reason Joel Schumacher he just he at least tries to take creative risks that just have historically never once worked, <laughs> but he keeps doing it and he keeps getting opportunities to do it and it's just like. 
so many uh, female directors with talent are going to you know die in obscurity, but Joel Schumacher is going to make five million movies and they're all going to be fine. <laughs> they're, except this one is actually uh, really spectacularly bad. Oh, God. I thought you were going to end it spectacular and I was going to be upset. <laughs> that's what I've seen this movie at least 20 times. Oh, God. I... Lives, I well, we'll get into yeah. it. This, it's the Phantom of the Opera episode, the Joel Schumacher film. The 2004 uh, Christmas movie season was maybe like my favorite Christmas movie season growing up because Phantom of the Opera came out. Mm-hmm. Horny for that, right? A series of unfortunate events starring Jim Carrey <laughs> was the first movie I ever saw that made me viscerally angry. And I really hate it. And so that was fun. Uh, also, National Treasure, which oh. <laughs> a hot season. A real hot season. Well, who can argue with that? (laughs) Um, Hey, let's introduce our guest. Yeah. She is a writer. She's a video essayist. She has this whole series of wonderful video essays. Including including an amazing one on this movie. movie. We're big fans. We were so almost synced up there. (laughs) We did it. It's early, but but uh, it's it's 10 a.m. It's happening. What are we doing? I got Um, those little things from 7-Eleven. They put them next to the creamers, but it's actually like caffeine shots i've got a couple if anyone needs a me and and that voice you're hearing is our guest who we started the intro and then forgot to do it the rest of the way Lindsay ellis thank you guys thank you so much you you happen to be doing a podcast on my favorite crack so i'm so here for this oh we're so excited to have you so phantom of the opera you have a history with this Mm -hmm. franchise I feel like I've done three 30-plus minute videos. <laughs> We've seen yeah, them Don't worry, we watched them. <laughs> them. The opera. I, I don't front with my Phantom, but it's like, so, I, probably my oldest fandom. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's something about Phantom, like most things you kind of outgrow, but Phantom just, the stank never leaves you. So you just kind of got to own it. <laughs> so when did you see this 2004 Joel Schumacher Phantom? Well, I first, uh, when I was like, you know, a sad 15, 16 year old. I mean, I actually wasn't that sad. Like, Phantom drew me out of an even sadder phase of my life, which is when I was like into new metal and Limp Bizkit and really angry and sad all the time. And then I discovered musical theater. So there's a logical progression <laughs> for you. And uh, I was like really obsessively into it. And that's actually how I met like uh, several of my like current business partners. Nice. <laughs> it was through Phantom of the Opera fandom in uh, 2001. Like my current co-writer, Angelina, I met on fanfiction.net. Same with Elisa Hansen, who now does <laughs> vampire no reviews on YouTube. And Antonella and Sarah, who used to do uh, Nostalgia Chick with me, uh, not so much anymore because we live in different cities. But um, by the time the movie came out, I wouldn't say I was over it, but I was like, it was sort of like our joke old thing. We were excited at first, but then we saw that Schumacher was attached to it. And then like <laughs> that, like Antonio Banderas, who wanted it so badly. Yeah. And they were already making this terrible creative decision in the form of Emmy Rossum and Gerard Butler. And we were just like, oh, wow, this is going to be like just as bad as we think it will be. <laughs> and I just remember what was really funny was like seeing it. Did you see it in theaters? Yeah, I saw it in theaters okay. with my mother in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh. We were both like, Wow. How did they mess that up so bad? You know, the show that's like, it's cheesy, but it works. How did yeah. this happen? Jamie, what's your history? Oh, man. I also got into fandom, I mean, freakishly young, because my mom is obsessed with Phantom of the Opera. My mom also, as you know, 
completely unhinged. But <laughs> that's love. a theme with Phantom fans. Like, exactly. We're being real. <laughs> exactly. Like it's, we relate to that Phantom a little oof. too much. And there's too much of me that I see in that because I. But I, I have a very specific memory of when I w- was really young. I mean, probably five years old. So, uh, and this directly connects to two of your videos. <laughs> so. I uh, got those Hunchback of Notre Dame puppets that they sold at, at Burger, Burger King. King. Yes. <laughs> so I got all of those because my mom ran a daycare out of our house. And so there would be some time every day where I'd be like, I want to be like by myself because I live here. So my mom would let me have time alone in a room. <laughs> and she would give me the three puppets, Esmeralda, Quasimodo, and Phoebus. And she would turn on the original London cast of The Phantom of the Opera and I would pretend they were Christine, the Phantom, and Raoul. So, and that was when I was like five. So I was into Phantom super early. Like some of my earliest memories are listening to the Phantom of the Opera and playing with puppets by myself. So very into it. And then yeah. <laughs> goth teen Jamie. My middle school choir was going to a production of Phantom of the Opera at the Boston Opera House. I remember I like had all these fishnets and like very like phantom of the opera super fan <laughs> clothes on underneath normal clothes and then i got to school and i was like i'm the biggest fan of phantom of the opera and i had like the skirt from trip with like chains on it <laughs> and like fishnets and then i love this movie it's I, like, <laughs> very into it i've seen i've seen phantom of the opera on stage probably five times wow. i've seen this I, movie i think i've actually got you beat yeah i've probably seen it at least 15 times Oh, Whoa. It's, it doesn't get old though. Like it's. I lived in New York. It was just sort of like hey, oh, rush God. tickets. It was twenty five bucks, you know. Uh, although, like, I'm so like, oh, I'm so happy they're finally replacing Bad Phantom, mm-hmm. <laughs> James Barber. Yay! Finally, you should have done. You should never have hired him. He was not good. Worse than Gerard Butler. No. <laughs> no. No one is. Well, for a Broadway Phantom, it was just like you know, on top of being like a pedophile, he's just not a good Phantom. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that in the literal sense. He was actually he actually went to trial for it. Oh, <laughs> and really? Yeah, there was a oh man. It's I like speaking that. of mediocre men getting second chances. Ooh. Yeah, he he was uh, accused and went to trial for I think one, but then there were two more accusers. All were under the age of fifteen. Jesus and, Christ! And uh, so they eventually he had a plea deal, and uh, so he was never actually uh, served any time. But that was, oh, then he was like after his probation was up in two thousand. 12 or 8 I don't know it was somewhere, it was somewhere in the Obama <laughs> years Broadway was like welcome back brother and he, he's been doing pretty well oh god why <laughs> why do we let criminals <laughs> do yeah. things oh well I mean that is kind of a smooth transition right into uh, there's a lot of preying on a minor in this movie oh yeah, yeah. that's true a lot of it so I had never seen the movie until a couple days ago I thought I had but turns out I hadn't and I I didn't know what the story was. I, you, I've never. This is my first introduction. So you hadn't seen the show. Hadn't seen the show. Not familiar. I'd never read the book. Not. But you don't like musicals watched. generally. Right? I don't like musicals. But yeah, I just I have. This was my first experience with Phantom of the Opera, and boy, did this movie sour my experience. Oh, no, no, it's good. There's it's got a lot of pain. Okay, just to, just to illustrate a point of how much people love this. Okay, so it has thirty two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh-huh. Critically, no one liked it. Everyone said, "Get the electric guitar riff out of there." <laughs> right? Audience score eighty four percent. Like people love oh. Phantom of the Opera, oh, and they won't hear now. People, people will. Uh, I guess because like when I did the video about it. I tended to focus mostly on the technical filmmaking. Right. For that reason, I think I, I didn't get a lot of pushback from fans. But I definitely remember, like, in 2005, when I guess we were, I was in college at the time, and, uh, 
you know, that was like when Phantom of the Opera fandom got a shot in the arm from this new movie. And like there was this new wave of people who just loved the movie. And then there was the old guard that was just like gatekeeping. So there was like a war. I remember it well. But yeah, those people, uh, they live. They do. <laughs> um, Should I do the recap? Yeah. Okay. Phantom of the Opera is about a young woman named Christine. She is a chorus girl in this opera house. Also in the opera house is a spooky phantom man. Is he a ghost? Is he real? We don't know, but everyone's scared of him. And everyone's like, ah! That's literally what everyone's like. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a literal ah in the first five minutes of the movie. Oh, there's there's a really yeah there's a really obnoxious setup to this movie. (laughs) Oh, the framing device. It's so long. It's It's and they keep going back to it. uh, Patrick Wilson's age makeup is. Swarovski. That's Patrick Wilson and old makeup. I'm pretty yeah, sure. No, yeah, that's, that's age makeup. It's, oh god, it's why? Yeah, it's not that bad. But I mean, the makeup's not bad. But the, the makeup's makeup, not bad. <laughs> I mean, I, it was I, realistic. I thought that was just an old man. But yeah. like, why wouldn't they have just cast an old anyway? I do love that Patrick Wilson puts on old man voice. He yeah. sounds really like, a collector's season. <laughs> it's like, okay, we get it, you're old. Yeah. I mostly fast forwarded through those parts. Oh, um, no. yeah. <laughs> but those are the worst parts. <laughs> you missed nothing. They're so extraneous. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need to be there. <laughs> they add uh, nothing. No, they, sure they do don't. add product placement. Or it's like there's Swarovski. Um, oh, okay. I think there was another one. It was like another brand that existed in the 18... 18- Okay, so the show takes place in the 1870s, which right. doesn't make sense because that was during the Franco-Prussian War, and the opera was under siege and oh. not an opera. But the show to like 1871. It's like okay, so the movie I think they bump it back to like 1888 or a time that made sense yeah. when the novel took place. So I guess that's one thing the movie fixed. Thank you. <laughs> weird. And not that, much else. <laughs> weird that Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, no, let's let's kick it back another 15 years yeah. for whatever reason. Well, I guess maybe it was like the dresses were cooler in the 1870s oh, okay. <laughs> than in the 1880s. High fashion. It's true. It's true, though. I didn't like those bustles. Mm. <laughs> but also, this movie does not abide by any manner of like, I mean, there's some that's more realistic, but there's sometimes there's like the time that where Christine is wearing like a slip with like a slit up oh, the leg. Yeah. You're just like, oh, totally. My corset 18, on the outside yeah. of my nightgown. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, let's And just... also, I'm a singer, but I'm in the ballet. <laughs> right. Right. But you're not going to see me do much of either. <laughs> like, yeah. Cheap. <sighs> okay. Okay, sorry. There's a spooky ghost. Carlotta, she's like the prima donna diva, like the star of all the operas. The only person who knows what movie she's in. Oh, Minnie Driver mm-hmm. is Minnie Driver yeah. kills it. Yeah. She's great. <laughs> Different things happen where she's like, I'm not going to sing, or she's, you know, refusing to perform. So they're like, how about this Christine girl? She can sing. <laughs> But they're like, how how can she sing? Can she sing? Can she, can I mean, that's about what I sounded like when I was 17. So, okay. Right. <laughs> I'm ready yeah. to be the prima donna of the premier French opera. Oh, is that how old she is in the In the movie, in she the is. Movie? She's aged down in the movie. Oh. Ah. And I think that Emmy Yikes. Rossum was 16 yeah, when she this was, was being filmed. She, she was, was underage. Yikes. Because <laughs> she kisses two old men in this movie. She kisses two men far older than her, yeah. So she's like, yeah. I can sing because it turns out she's been taking singing lessons from a a wall, wall? <laughs> a an angel of music who she thinks is 
her dead father's spirit teaching her oh, how to this sing. This movie is just like drenched in Electra Complex. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. She thinks the ghost is her daddy. No. She thinks that the ghost is an angel sent, sent by her dad. By her dad. Oh, because, right, right, right. So it's basically as bad. But like, because as he, as he lay dying, she's like, I'm going to send you an angel, honey. Don't worry. <laughs> she, and so like, okay, like the phantom sure. somehow or other finds out about this. And he's like, ooh. Right. How does he know he about can... that and know about her? Maybe he was yeah. watching. Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he I, I was don't know, watching cause... her dad die. We... <laughs> he's like, I don't know why I was stalking her for a long time. <laughs> Maybe he was in the walls. <laughs> Maybe he died in her dressing room. He tends to do that. <laughs> her dressing room that she has it, by right. herself alone. Right. As, of course, of course, girl. girl. Which yeah. is, yeah, I mean, when, okay, that was another part where I was like, okay, is she supposed to be in Carlotta's dressing room? But it looks like it's all her stuff. And yeah. the Phantom wouldn't have rigged Carlotta's dressing room so that he could just appear wherever. In like a two-way mirror that yeah. like slides open. And, okay, but that and like a- rules. Does to be it? fair, that rules, and it's a very exciting stage moment. And it's, I'm just like in the book, it was her dressing room. So it um, was, yeah. yeah Why so, does she have such a big dressing room? <laughs> she, she's a she's, star. She's Not a yet. teen orphan. Yeah. <laughs> they don't get nice dressing she rooms. Loves those in France. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come see teen orphan. She can't sing, but she is a teen and an orphan, and she's cute. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll put her corset on the outside of her clothes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's. Anyway, we're about 15 oh, minutes right now. <laughs> we have not got much further. So she thinks this angel of music is singing to her and teaching her how to sing. Turns out this phantom who is real approaches her and she's like, oh, wait, you're a man, but you're still my angel of music. And they have a whole song about it. (laughs) She has no reaction to learning that he's a man. Her eyeshadow does get darker, though. Oh, (laughs) sorry. It gets very, very, very (laughs) smoky. It does get so, yeah. By the time she's in the gutter, mm-hmm. she is in full smoke. Yeah, <laughs> like as the further down she goes, the smokier it gets, <laughs> and it looks so like it looks like when I was thirteen and trying on mom's makeup yeah. for the first time is like darker. <laughs> yeah, she there's a lot of long shots of Emmy Ross. I'm just like looking like she's basically falling asleep, <laughs> like mouth kind of agog. Like. Yeah, and it's like oh, that's what love. Is <laughs> just uh, entranced yeah, by your that... angelic voice, Gerard Butler. <laughs> so I didn't realize that, like, this movie does a very bad job, I think, of setting up that he's supposed to be this, like, seductive, and she's like, oh, I like that. I love <laughs> you. Like, I did not realize that they were having, like, a love story. Like, it didn't. It's almost Nothing like Joel Schumacher's really not good at things. Right, it's almost. Yeah. Isn't? Like, just and like, then on top of that, Gerard Butler's doing an exceptionally bad job of yeah. being seductive. And Amy Rossum is like 16 and has never gone outside, so she doesn't know how to look like seduced, I guess, which right. is already gross. Why did they cast a 16-year-old? Ah, Anne Hathaway really wanted the part, too. Oh. Really? Anne Hathaway, who can sing and was the correct age in 2005. I think she, she would have done She would have done well. Man, Anne Hathaway yeah. and Antonio Banderas, mm-hmm. what could have been? That would have been tight. <laughs> Poor Emma Roth. And this, like, didn't really launch anyone's career in the way that I think the movie intended to. Mm-mm. I mean, no. where yeah. Patrick Wilson's Patrick Wilson's didn't get hurt. Right. Like he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't actively harmed by it. I would I would think perhaps that Emmy Rossum was maybe damaged by this. I think so movie. too. She was like maybe on the rise and then kind of stalled. She was in the day after tomorrow and then kind of yeah. went away until 
beautiful creatures, which, yes, I saw. Yeah? <laughs> I didn't see it. Yeah, she was like the oh, I sexy older too. sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she does, that look does not work on her. <laughs> well, and then now she she's like relegated to TV and seems yeah. to be doing well, but it's... I feel for her this way because imagine like having the rest of your life affected by a mistake that didn't seem like a mistake when you were 16. Mm-hmm. Sure. Basically, it's her teen pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> so where were so he's like seducing her and she's kind of into it? Question mark. I don't really know, but he shows her this like wax sculpture he made of her of her in a in a wedding, wedding dress, dress. Yes. Yeah. and she also has no reaction to that she's she, just like no, she, oh, she passes out. down oh she passes out yeah, she, she passes, passes out oh cuz women be fainting right yeah. i mean that <laughs> she's is scary. so creeped out but then, okay she faints <laughs> but then after that when she wakes up to me she does not have a, an appropriate reaction to a creepy man whose face is half hot and half under a mask making a sculpture of her and then she's just like yeah okay you're my friend now or something well not to jump to anyone's defense but she does think that he's like an angel yeah i think the moment she rips off the mask is when she's like oh you're ugly i guess you're not an angel angels can only be hot yeah i mean it's it's, it's kind of confusing because like when you like both in the show and in the movie, from that point on, you don't see her again until the opera. Right. And and then she runs to the roof like, I'm really scared, Raul. And he's like, don't worry, honey, it's not it's not real. So I, I guess like at that point's where she kind of turns on him, but it's all really implicit. And <laughs> there's like, it, yeah, the story is so <laughs> clunky the more it's, you look yeah. at it. bad. But, but she, okay, so she meets him. She's like, he's an angel. He made a wax statue of me that we have to assume he has sex with. Uh, oh, <laughs> definitely. No. There's no way there's oh, not yeah. a cavernous hole in that wax statue. <laughs> so anyways, she wakes up and she's like, well, that happened. But then he does start to behave more and more threatening after that where, not that her reaction at any point in this story totally makes sense, but... If I'm remembering correctly, she gets out and that's when he starts being like, you have to recast the show. And then he like causes the fucking chandelier <laughs> thing. And he causes then, it to wiggle. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't fall yet. That's the funny thing about the chandelier <laughs> falling. freaking people out. It has, it like has no consequence. <laughs> it just kind of happens. As far as we know, no one's hurt. Well, yeah. he does. So the oh, right. I'm thinking, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the show. Because does... the show, it falls at the end of Act 1. Whenever yeah. he goes, like, you will curse the day you did not do all that the Phantom asks of you. And then he cuts the chandelier as a threat. And then in the movie, he just cuts it because he feels like it. Because <laughs> like, oh, I forgot to do this. <laughs> like, uh, I left <laughs> the oven on. We have to justify the framing device. So to... <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. But before that, he, he hangs someone. a guy yeah. Yeah, from the rafters. And then everyone's like, ooh, this is a ghost to be reckoned with. <laughs> By the time people are dying, I'm like, okay, it makes sense for her to be scared now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then she still sort of is and then sort of isn't throughout the rest of the movie to the point where at the end... Am I horny? Am I scared? Am I horny? This is kind of the genius of the Lloyd Webber version because this was the first version where they really play up the, ooh, she's kind of into it. And I think that's also why, no, I know that's why, this is the most successful version. Because like in the book, he's just kind of like a creepy guy and she's never into it. Like she pities him like in the... Frodo pitying Gollum kind of way. Mm-hmm. But like the second she sees him and she's like, oh. And then he's like, sorry. Because he I'm for a- real looks like shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's wearing the mask, but he's just like, hey, um, I'm not an angel. I'm a 50 year old man who's in love with you. Come to my basement. And she's like, 
he's going to kill and eat me. I have to just placate him and do whatever he says. And so she does this for like two weeks where she's like, no, you're great. You're awesome. I think you're really nice looking. Oh, the, things that, <laughs> oh, the things that women have to do yeah. for men to, to not no. get murdered. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, so then he lets her, like after two weeks, he, she convinces him and he's like, okay, fine. I'll let you go back into the opera. And then she tells Raul everything like, oh my God, there's this creepy guy and he's going to kill me. And then he overhears it. And that's when he snaps and loses it. That makes more sense. Yeah. That does <laughs> right. not happen in this movie. No, it like does that not. No. In this movie, she's kind of into it. Toxic she's romance, like, baby. Yeah. yeah, there's like moments where he's like wrapping his arms around her and she's all like, oh, I'm in a shampoo she's commercial. <laughs> there's, there is a part, and I, this was my favorite part. I remember when I was seeing the movie when I was 12, I was like, oh, during Point of No Return, which is an insane number in the movie. It just looks crazy. I like crazy. that song, I like most of the songs. <laughs> but <laughs> You should fun. see, like like I say, like watch the Royal Albert Hall version and be like, wow, this is even better when people can sing. Right. <laughs> and, and there aren't random tango dancers. There, I love the tango there's, But there's a point in this version of it where Emmy Rossa looks like she's straight up going to pass out again <laughs> because she's so... Turned on? <laughs> She's about can't to handle it. Where they're like, you know, the peak of that song. It looks like her eyes are like fluttering. I was like, she's sick. Something, someone give her water. Also, her like straps of her dress keep uh, falling off her shoulders, and she's like, I'm getting more and more naked as I get so horny with this song. And then he, I skipped half of the movie, but who cares? It doesn't make any sense, and it's fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> the story, the, but the nothing but makes the, any sense. Nothing it really doesn't. It's amazing how like that doesn't bother you when it's on stage because there's like I think there's just mm-hmm. a lot more suspension of disbelief inherent in the medium of theater. Totally. So I think it's just like the the bizarre plot holes just kind of wash over you in the stage version, where in the movie version they're just spectacularly glaring because everything is literal. There's right. no sort of you know magical realism going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it really emphasizes how much this story makes no fucking sense. <laughs> and it's just, a, I mean, it's adapted really not well at all. Like, there's just, there's things that could have been done in this adaptation that would have made it transition a little smoother, but it just didn't. And then there was, like, weird moments where people are speaking dialogue oh, that yeah. should be sung, mm. but they're speaking rhyming dialogue we're just like why aren't you there's like you're my bride that we don't need to hide that part of masquerade (laughs) drives me crazy where patrick wilson and emmy ross are just talking to each other in but the music is still going right (laughs) stop it i was like why can't you just patrick wilson can actually sing yeah he was a driver ironically the only person who was dubbed right yeah Yeah. oh really Mm -hmm. yeah all right, so the basic story is that there's a guy who's a creep and he is gaslighting Christine and she also is like in love with and being gaslit by <laughs> Raul. Everyone's like there is no phantom and she's like there is he if I don't know, he's an angel or Which something. Which fuck boy will she choose? <sighs> right. Yeah. And then <laughs> the phantom gets more and more dangerous and threatening and then by the end he is like murdering people and like making these insane demands and then he drops a chandelier on everyone but no one is hurt and it's fine so there are no stakes <laughs> the or consequences but right I guess the that, that's like they're like well this needs a consequence I, I <laughs> right. guess it burns the opera down and now there's no opera and then he takes Christine into his like Swamp? basement level apartment and uh, <laughs> I had like, an apartment like that when I was <laughs> and then Raul goes to save her, of course, and the Phantom's like, you either have to 
be with me to save Raul's life or I'll kill you both or I, who knows what I'll his feelings are. And it's so fun. Like, I love the way that scene is shot. Like, he just sneaks up behind Raul or, like, <laughs> or just walks up to him with a noose. He's like, here, buddy, hold still. <laughs> and he just, like, loops it over his head and then, like, fastens him to a grate. But it's just like, he, okay, so it's a noose, which is a thing you <laughs> hang people with. But he's like also tied, tied, tied to a grate. So, um, is he just gonna strangle him with the new like manually? Like he's just gonna? <laughs> he can't be hung. He's tied to a grate. Your video essay was the first time that was ever. I was like, oh yeah, there's no. He's probably fine. And, like there's no threat <laughs> yeah. here. Like maybe yeah. he's about to like pull out a gun and shoot him. But like the. <laughs> The, the rope makes makes but he keeps pulling, yanking yeah. at the rope like that will yeah, well, eventually it's, it's, be. I don't know why they did it. Like, cause like in the show, it's like a, a magical realism thing. Like, he yeah, throws the rope on him, and then the rope magically kind of lifts. So mm-hmm. he's actually being like, er, you know, yeah. That's so much a phantom of like, let's just throw something into fog. People, I just, will be- <laughs> I hate how this movie doesn't commit to the magical realism. It's just like you either do it or don't. Like I talked about, right. like in the show, because they had like the the Jean Cocteau arms in the movie, yeah, which is like this sort of like. Oh, I'm being seduced and being brought into this magical, mysterious world, and they're like lifting this thing from Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, which are the these arms stick jutting out of the wall and holding candles, and then they never do anything like that for the rest of the movie. Right? It's just straight literalness. There's it's no like, commit to some stuff like that. Yeah, commit or to some stylism don't. so the glaring plot holes don't. You know, it's just <laughs> which like, is at least. I mean, that's like the least you can ask of Joel Schumacher. He's like, commit to your bad choices. Yeah, but yeah. he doesn't do that in this one. So, no. This movie could have been at least consistently fun and bizarre. Yeah. But there, it's just... No, it has to be serious. Very disjointed. The addition of that weird sword fighting scene. Well, the the sword fight leads to one of the talking points I had about the treatment of women in the movie, which is that... So in that sword fight, and we see this in a ton of movies where two men are fighting over a woman. The men are fighting, the woman is being fought for, so it's like... Women are often rendered just so passive in situations like the same thing with like a woman having to be saved. Like she has to wait around to be saved by a man. This isn't a huge component of this movie, but I think it was worth mentioning that there was just like. Well, it's one of two major scenes where Christine is completely sidelined as two men fight slash sing slash argue about her. Because it's that sword fighting scene where she's just totally like. Literally Guys. watching, like stop. I think I can that, like that, that Quinn from Daria being like, "Don't yeah. fight over me." <laughs> that was a great. <laughs> uh, and then, and then in the climactic scene too, where Gerard Butler's like, "I'm gonna make your boyfriend hurt," and he's like, <laughs> "He's like, it's okay, I'll, you know." And Christine's just standing there, like, "Oh, what yeah. do I do?" Well, she has I a guess... little more agency in that scene because she then kisses the Phantom. I would argue <laughs> that. <laughs> Is such a crazy like I get I don't know she's sidelined for the majority of that scene and then it's like yeah. how do I get out of here maybe if I give him a little kissy <laughs> he'll let us go which it, you couldn't bank on working but it does, uh-huh. <laughs> it, does. it works in the show it does oh, I, I it think really it works a lot better in the show in the movie it's just like I just feel like Rose like tied to that gray in Christ pose just looking on with confusion like <laughs> what is this supposed to accomplish why is anyone here <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the kiss that she gives to the Phantom to, like, placate him ignores the fact that, like, she's just doing this out of desperation because she's like, my life's in danger, Raul's life's in danger, I've been gaslit by every fucking person in this entire movie throughout the whole fucking story, mm. I gotta kiss this guy to, like, make him not murder people, 
but the movie frames it oh is this God. like big romantic yeah. the, the music swells, swells the camera like spins <laughs> around like like, this is not romantic like what are you doing movie <sighs> there's a cinematog John Mathison is swirling around this swamp <laughs> filming an underage woman kissing Gerard Butler just bleak in every respect but like yeah the point I want to make about so often in movies this one included we see a woman taking a very passive role in whatever's happening just sitting idly by watching as two men fight or a man has to save her or whatever and it just sends a message that women can't do things I guess and then we as a society are like oh women can't do things because I've never seen them do things in in media. So I don't trust them to be able to do anything. I think more, more than anything, it's just like Christine's character is like, oh, you just have to take a lot of shit. Like she takes shit for this entire... Okay, so if we're talking about Christine... I don't know, I relate to Christine in this, in this regard. <laughs> uh, but like, so her as a character, she's set up as she misses her father. Her father was the main figure in her life. And then we're presented with two father-like figures who are fuckboys that she has to choose between where it's like, does she choose the dangerous ghost father committing murders or is she going to choose... The useless guy who like walked right into a trap. and <laughs> <laughs> But also is like pretty consistently like you're making this up it's fine just stay with me and and is visibly older than her as well so it's like they're supposed to be the same age so let's oh right because they were childhood sweethearts are they supposed to because it was they are the same age unless like he was 17 and she was seven which honestly in like 19th century france that was probably a thing no I, i mean he's he's in the show at least he's supposed to be a year or two older than she is but the, but he has so many like successes. But he's only supposed to be eighteen. Um. Well, I mean, Christine's nineteen in the show, so he's supposed to be like okay. twenty one. So okay. I don't. Again, I don't know why they age Christine down. That does nothing for this movie. Like, no, it just, right. it it just makes it weird. Yeah. Like, and well, he's rich, but is it that I'm guessing he's an heir? He's, he's a navy officer, mm. which is why he like at the masquerade he has his like naval uniform on. Yeah. Oh. So he's like a he's a vicomte. So he like. Viconted his way to the top of the Navy <laughs> hierarchy, so he's like a sailor. Hot. So Christine's like a, a girl with, with daddy issues who's presented with two daddies, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she has to pick one of them. Christine They're, has two daddies. I mean, I would actually argue that I, I don't see Raul as a, as a father figure. Really? I, I think that in this movie, he's pretty consistently, I mean, at very I mean, least he's patronizing. Yeah. But I don't think she sees her father in him. Okay. This or any of the version, or at least that's kind of how I took it, and that's why I guess in some ways he's less appealing to her because she, you know, she kind of wants her dad back, and so like she has made this association in her mind with the Phantom and her father. Mm -hmm. But there is a level of security that comes with being super rich. Raoul, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He got her scarf back. I mean, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) He did something. (laughs) Speaking of that love triangle. I couldn't help but notice that no time is spent developing the romance between Christine and Raul. They're like, oh, we knew each other as kids, and now we're adults, and we haven't seen each other for years. They have like, that, guess what? We're in love. They have that big swell of a romance number, mm-hmm. which is which takes place right after the murder. Oh, um, <laughs> on the see, roof. I, right? love, I love that scene because it's like, Bouquet gets murdered. Gets hung. She runs up to the roof and she's like, "Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! I'm freaked out. I know who did it. He's gonna kill me. Oh God!" And Raul's like, "Don't worry, honey. It's fine." And then like the 
clarinets of romance start playing and <laughs> they have that big all I ask of you number. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just forgot about it's, the killing. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, that's like, murdered. That but works in the musical. We're in love. Oh. It, it works on it stage. It works in the musical. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work here. Well, especially because he's just like creeping around like the phantom is just like the whole scene hiding behind statues and it's just like we don't need to like this was another like point that I made in the video like we don't need to know he's here right why do you keep cutting to him what is the emotion you're going for is it tension are we supposed to feel bad for him either way it doesn't work because this is supposed to be like their big romance and obviously that you know doesn't stick because like you you're like when do they connect like well it's there but you don't realize it because the phantom's like creeping around, pouting at the camera. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. And then in in the musical, that's not what it is at yeah. all. Like you don't see him just leering, you know, yeah. tiptoeing around the stage. <laughs> like, <laughs> like who cares? Yeah. It's there. Then, it's there in the Lon Chaney movie. I always think of the Lon Chaney movie really? because uh, that's a reflection of the book. And it's kind of funny in the book because there's this one line where that she's like telling Raul about how ugly he is, and then you hear this wail like in the distance. <laughs> Okay, because I kidnapped her. <laughs> Just because I kidnapped her and told her she could never leave. Damn it! <laughs> well, oh. so to the romance <laughs> so between Raúl and Christine, this happens a lot in movies where no time is spent developing why these characters would like each other or love mm-hmm. each other, which I think is a symptom of female characters just not being well-developed enough where they would just have a personality when we would understand why the male lead. But they're like, oh, well, you, you know, there's a, a man in the movie and he's got to have a hot lady to be with, so here's this lady character, but we're not going to do anything else to develop her. And that, I think, is so true for this movie. What is Christine's character? She has no fucking personality. She's basically just a singing voice, and then she's barely that. Because, we, well, we don't see her make a lot of, like... Most of things this happen musical. to her. Exactly. Decisions yeah. are made for her. Right. And this is, you know, I think in this version more than any of the others, which is kind of surprising because it's like it being the most recent big. one that yeah. got big enough to where there were no other versions <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> besides the Dario Argento version from and 1998, which I do not recommend. Mm. Mm. Haven't seen it. <sighs> Don't see it. There, <laughs> there's, I mean, I think you can count on one hand kind of the choices we see her actually actively making Mm -hmm. in this we don't know that she necessarily has aspirations to be like Carlotte we know she takes music lessons and that music is important to her we don't know that but she's just forced out into this role there's no yeah there's no specific Um, goal that she has that we know about that we know she could we don't know yeah but like that's a thing that we should probably know for any protagonist what their desire is what their goal is but just kidding we don't have any idea in this movie the first choice that she actively makes in the movie is to kiss him. I think, At the end. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything she, else well, is... She chooses to go... She sneaks out to go to her dad's grave. That's one choice that's we see a, her guess, make. Sure. But that's well, it's funny because like, like, they're like, Christine, you have to be in the show The Phantom is forcing us to put on. Right. We had to be in his fan fiction opera. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Which is literally, he's like, I really love Don Giovanni, but it's it's not serious enough. I'm going to make a serious Don Giovanni. <laughs> it's I'm called it Don Juan Triumphant, and it's going to be about how I'm really sexy and hot and all the ladies want me. <laughs> if Don Juan doesn't go to hell in this version, that's literally what it is. Like It's his, it's his fanfic. So, <laughs> so they're like, Christine, you have to star in the Phantoms fanfic. And she's like, no. There's yeah, a scene yeah, yeah, where yeah. they're like in the chapel. And that's she's like, she yeah, says like, I'm scared. Don't make me do this. And he's like, and he's like you need to do it. Fine. He's only I, killed the one guy. Right. And then he's like, I'll of. be there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, who cares? Yeah. But like, I, th- I think that, the, yeah, the choices we see her make, she goes to her dad's grave only to be sidelined pretty much immediately. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but at that point, she's still confused, apparently, about who the angel of music is because that song happens again. Surely she knows by think, now. It's yeah, they're a they're real going again fit. for the magical realism thing that they oh, don't commit to, where he's got like land. some sort of like hypnotic power over her. Oh, it doesn't right. make any sense She's when really she silly. when she looks asleep. It's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be whenever she like does the like you know lazy face thing. Mm-hmm. It's confusing. Yeah, if I didn't know, I the Sarah Brightman face. It is Sarah Brightman face. Yeah, just like the, the look kind of asleep but kind of turned on. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, so she she is not really an active, not at uh, all protagonist at all. Uh, I'm like I'm like having to suppress my like my Christine Stan like because I'm like this is absolutely true in the movie and in the show, but I'm just like, but that's not how it was in the book. In There's the book she was like, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't originally like this. Andrew Lloyd Webber changed it to make her more romance novel heroine. I guess I don't know. I mean, that totally makes sense to make this romance work. If you give Christine a more active role, it mm-hmm. would probably fall apart pretty quickly because the, yeah. male, the male protagonists I mean, are so flawed. If you establish, like, you? If you dis- like, establish a desire for her where she will like stop at nothing to become the lead mm-hmm. of the opera, like the new right. prima donna or whatever, that's her driving thing. And then this phantom man comes along who's promising to help her with that it would make sense why she would maybe be seduced by him and his promises and all that stuff and then go along with it but because we have no idea what her specific goal is it's insane that she's just like oh i'm enchanted and hypnotized by his genius or what like it doesn't make any sense to me in the show and certainly in the movie i feel like the closest we can get to boiling down a motivation has to do with her dad or somehow like recapturing Ugh, boring her dad. <laughs> I mean, well, it's, it's just bad writing yeah. but <laughs> there yeah. but like her motivation seems pretty closely tied to her dad which is just Cause lazy like, yeah. and in, in both the book and the show she's just kind of coasting like she yeah. was studying music dad died I mean, well I guess I'll keep studying music you know he paid for it then... <laughs> <laughs> right but it's like never it's like does she want to be here do we know and then that brings me to madame jiri who i just thought about this like the most recent time i watched it of like madame jiri is basically i mean she's in charge of the ballet she's like the lead choreographer of the ballet and she's the mother to one of the only other female characters who speaks Mm. meg jiri who is christine's best friend madame jiri's basically subbing in as christine's parent Mm -hmm. but it's so clear, like, there's a few times in the movie where we see Madame Jiri actively make sure that Meg stays away from the Phantom. Madame Jiri, we learn, knows everything about him, knows about like, his, kind of like, grew torture. up with him. Yeah. Right. Like, which is an addition, that's that's a new addition to the movie, and I don't like it, because, you know, it's like, it's why just, does he have a friend? It's not, like, it doesn't, it really kind of takes some of the, like, 
impetus for him to like be so desperate and you know obsessed with Christine if he just has like this you know emotional support all these years in the form of Madame Giri who's been kind of helping right. him out you well, know and it reflects poorly on her character too because it's like oh she knows everything and is still letting this child communicate openly with yeah. this very dangerous yeah. person while keeping her daughter like and we know she knows he's dangerous because she's keeping her biological daughter away from him at yeah. all costs but then she's like oh well yeah, he, yeah. I don't know. What are Better, you going to do? You know what? I'm not going to get in the way. He he's, had a bad that, childhood. We'll just... Uh, he, he's just sad. That you know? begs the question. That was... I Let him have his fun. That, that frustrated <laughs> me this time. I'm like, man, Madam Jerry, you, you suck. Yeah. Well, totally. And that also begs the question if... I mean, it's established with this flashback that she rescues him, has him live in his, you know, dungeon apartment or whatever. And then... <laughs> so what's dungeon studio. Wouldn't it make more sense that he was obsessed with Madame Giri and, like, she was the object of his affection because she he showed him... He likes chase, man. <sighs> he, yeah, she's too emotionally available. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, uh, women over 40. Yeah. Phantom, oh, right. Phantom's yeah. not there for women, maybe, women maybe, over 40. Maybe he was there for her for a little while and then he was like... He's like, you got too old. I need a 16-year-old, please. (laughs) Also, just like Miranda Richardson and Gerard Butler. So if they're supposed to be the same age, then the Phantom is, yeah, I mean, he would be like... Well into his forties, right? Yeah. How old is he in the book? Like he's he's in the book. He's uh, about old? fifty. Okay, yeah. uh, Madame Jerry. Though there, this was the first time that I was like, oh, there. The way that she's portrayed in this movie does not bode well for that character because yeah. it's like, oh, she's a poor guardian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's very complicit in the fact that murders are taking yeah. place. Yeah, and then the whole. Keep the hand at the level of, I was like, I. What does that mean? I mean Keep your hand at the okay. level of your so, eye. <laughs> <laughs> so you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to literally keep your hand next to your head because the Punjab Lasso, his like weapon of choice, is like he'll try to noose you. But if your hand is oh, up, you can't noose you. And you got can it. You keep can push. Because, oh. yeah, because Schumacher. The Punjab Lasso is like, it's like, I think it's supposed to be more like a whip in the book, but they just make it a literal noose in the show, which is like, I'm going to noose you, buddy. Like, that's not a very good, you know, offense. Weapon. <laughs> no, it's like get a knife. They're okay. Uh, in the Phantom's apartment. Yeah. S- swamp. <laughs> Next to his action figures. Swamp apartment. Right. His action figures <laughs> his action and figures. his wax. Also, statues. an addition, a bizarre addition. And that's yeah. unique to this version. He plays with dolls. He plays so with dolls. He lives in basically the sewer because mm-hmm. there's water. Yeah. What's the bathroom there, no, situation? A lake. Oh, the bathroom situation? What's the bathroom situation? It's all in the around. House? Just go outside and pee in the lake. <laughs> Literally, I'm just like, just where? Well there's, like, well, there's a part where, like, they're standing in water, like, is it like phantom? No, poodle? okay. Well, see, the thing is, like, the, the opera has a like a drainage lake. That's what that is. Okay. Like, so, because so that's not you know, poop. it's it's a very you know, it's a very large building, and so like the foundation requires there to be like a drainage lake. So he builds a house next to this lake. And in the book, it actually has like running water and electricity because he's just that smart. So mm. like, well, in this one, yeah, he does. In the movie, they just kind of make it like a cave. Yeah. That is like he kind of threw some drop cloths, you know, on the cave and some cans. And we're gonna candles. call it sexy. Yeah. Schumacher, <laughs> where does he poop? Schumacher, it's like Pop that. Um, <laughs> it's like that episode of uh, Broad City that Amy Sedaris is in, and she's like, "Where isn't the bathroom? <laughs> it's all around. <laughs> it's everywhere." <laughs> oh, Schumacher, have you guys seen Love Never Dies? No, no, I haven't. I've like actively avoided it. For a long time. Okay, so there's like 20 versions because they've it's terrible and they keep workshopping it. No. But in the 
like Madame Giri and Meg. Oh, that's have, the, is this a sequel? Yeah, in the sequel, they have they both have like really beefed up parts, and and, and like Madame Giri is like the red herring bad guy because like she's jealous because like turns out the Phantom has a kid from the one time he and Christine did the do, and oh my god, oh man, they fucked. Yeah, they fucked. They fucked after the musical ended. Like she came back, and she's like, hey, let's do it, and he's like, yeah, and then they do it, and then he's like, oh, I can't handle it, and leaves, and they have this this like what a fuck boy. They have this. I followed you around for years, but I can't. Love Never Dies where they sing about how they fucked this one time and then they describe it in song. <laughs> Why did this never make it to Broadway? I don't understand. And then, and then he kind of puts two and two together like, oh, we fucked ten years ago. You have a ten-year-old. Ah! He's our and, daddy. And then like Madame Jerry's like, no, he's going to take our inheritance. But then at the end of the show, turns out Meg is the bad guy. Oh. What? Yeah. And she like kidnaps the kid and she's going to shoot him. <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because like the Phantom is talking her down. Like, this, like oh, man. <laughs> the show ends with the Phantom talking Meg down, what and then Meg nightmare. accidentally shoots Christine, and Christine dies. No. Yes. No. Yes. And the Phantom's I like, no. Well, I guess I get the kid as a consolation prize, and then it ends. That actually <laughs> love never dies. <laughs> Why am I so attached to Christine? Uh, no. Yeah, you're saying all this stuff about Christine, her. and I'm like, you're not wrong. I really you're not wrong. It's hard though. It's a hard there, especially in this movie. There's like, ooh, there's because uh, like not a lot of here, ways here's my it. like. I think there's also this sort of like there's the discussion between overrepresentation of certain harmful tropes and also certain harmful tropes that there is some truth to. You know, because you look at like the story about this teenage girl that's just being like led by her nose by all these men, right. and it's like while that is absolutely overdone, there's also a lot of truth to that. You know, just like because that's just what happens, especially in entertainment. You know, and because you see this reflected in like the careers of so many like actresses and me like I think of Kesha especially who was just like molded into this you know figure that wasn't her and she didn't want to be and she they like you know created this public persona for her and she had to live it for so many years and the thing about Christine I think that's sort of like why I think we both feel a little protective of her is like there is some truth to this for sure and um you know that's sort of like it's sort of like a both thing where it's like yeah it's so lame that she's so passive but on the other hand you know, that's kind of what coming of age is for a lot of women. Figuring out, like, oh, my God, I have to do something and make a choice because women are not socialized to be active, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, I think a little more in the stage version. Not too much. Not to, like, act like the stage version is superior. It's really not. I mean, I mean it is, but it's not story-wise. It, it, yeah. um, <laughs> Christine, you know, it's just sort of her coming into her own is sort of like she does it in the only way she knows how, which is to placate the murderer. And mm-hmm. considering the time period as well, mm-hmm. like, I totally agree with you because and and then it just becomes the duty of the storyteller and the filmmaker to frame that correctly and not glorify the wrong parts. Mm-hmm. I think that we could sort of maybe draw a comparison to, to Twilight here yeah, as well, absolutely. where it's like, a young teenager who you know young women are going to plug themselves into. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember doing that with Phantom of the Opera and Twilight and then seeing a very like sort of dangerous relationship develop but have the movie be like, but this is it's great. Like, that's the hunt. Yeah. And that's why this or that's why Andrew Lloyd Webber's version, not the movie, the musical, is the most successful version of Phantom was because it was he was the one that's like, let's frame it as really sexy and right. let's make him really, sim- you know, as sympathetic as a murderer can be. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, 
you know, when you take a step back and you're like, woof, well, it's no wonder this is the one that took off. But, but that's so bleak. <laughs> it's so bleak. Yeah, what does that say mm. about humanity and their mm. taste in things? So, like, while I, I would agree that Christine is, I mean, she's not making any choices, and any 16 year old girl would have more of a personality than she has, or would at least a lot have of that some is opinions on, the acting, on Like, let's be honest. Right. I mean, like, and I, 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 you know, and she, she was, again, she was too young for the part. I'm sure there are 16 year olds out there that could have pulled it off, but I think also, like, it's a kind of a testament to bad directing. Like Schumacher is a notoriously bad director and part of directing is training. Cause you can see, like you can see the direction in the way that she's acting. Like, cause he's, you know, telling her like, you're seduced, you're entranced. Mm -hmm. And so this is like really like, so she's just kind of, clearly reacting off of these very basic ungood direction and that's why she looks the way she does. <laughs> right. And because uh, I feel like there's a lot you could do with that blank slate if we had a better actor. Right. It's very frustrating to watch. I feel for Emmy Rossum in the I do. Oh, oh she's, God, so she's so young. miscast. She's, she's such... really not that good in the movie. Oh, it's... man. I was in Chamber Choir too. Yes. <laughs> it could have been any of I us. I could have been Christine. <laughs> there. I can hit that high E. Oh, God. <laughs> Emmy Rossum playing that part the way she did in a way that most teenage girls can sing uh, was yeah, just like ah! devastating like, for talent shows for the next several years oh, that I could go to. I'm good. just like, it's... I can sing Think of Me like Emmy Rossum. <laughs> like, of course you can. Yeah. Where they're just like the ha 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 you know, like, oh. That really, her hitting that high note on that one always sends like a chill through my body because it's just not good. No. And you know, it's funny how many fights I've been in over that. Like, she's not good. And they're like, well, she's not supposed to be good. It's like, ah! <laughs> Listen. <laughs> what? Listen. Voice of an angel over here should not sound like a gravel driveway. Like, he should, and, and the, the prima donna should sound better than your high school chamber choir diva. Like, right. holy, no. No, you don't get to pull that in this movie. Oh, oh! Another thing about those Christine and Carlotta is that Carlotta is super jealous of Christine, mm. and they're sort of like pitted mm. against each other. And right. it's I love sort of it when like young hot women are super threatening to older women. I, right. I feel like that's a really well. It just perpetuates thing. It just like perpetuate. I want I want more of that because I think that's really uh, yeah, healthy and creative. Let's <laughs> see more of that. It's I good think writing. It's really it's, it's great good writing. It's good writing. Underrepresented. Yeah. In, in cinema. It's good writing. Also, that was a, yeah. That was. I mean, that's not an addition that's unique to the Lloyd Webber version. They've been like. Because, like, she didn't really care about Christine in the book, but that, mm. that's that been there as early as the Lon Chaney version. Mm. Right, where she's, she's very like strange. a bitter, but it's like, you're the best one. Like, you're fine. You know, she's fine. Carlotta and Christine, I think, is, you know, a little bit of a virgin horror trope where or no, Carlotta is... It's more like Carlotta is decadent and conceited and how dare right. she become... Right. And it's funny because, like, everyone, in, like, especially in the movie, they play up that, like, everybody hates her because she's arrogant but it's, it's just like a she's prima donna for a reason she puts butts in seats and b she doesn't yeah, seem she... to do anything to actively offend people but there's that scene where she's like you know the prima donna scene where she's like tromping out and everybody's like mooning her and being like good riddance mm, and it's just right. like this doesn't make any sense why does everyone hate her she's kind of the reason that people have a job <laughs> like right. they're uh, gosh she's storming out again like I mean, why like, <laughs> why why are they acting like this i mean well to speak to all the other female characters they have just as little agency, I would argue, as Christine, because Meg basically does nothing. Who is Meg? Yeah, who is Meg? Don't know. 
It also bothered me that Christine, whenever they were like, hey, you should play Carlotta's part. And, oh, man, this is what the Phantom wants, so let's maybe do it. And then she was never like, hey, wait a minute, let's step back here for a second and, like, maybe address the problem of getting rid of this Phantom rather than just appeasing him for no fucking reason. Mm, yeah. It was crazy that they didn't have more of a... But if I was a 16-year-old girl, they're like, like, you know you what, we probably lead. should try to get rid of him. It's just too dangerous, so let's just do what he wants. Ugh. It's weird. And that's, like, addressed several times of, like, should we do something about this? They're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you, don't, you don't do something about the Phantom. Just he will pay him his salary. You see, do you see the way he wiggles that chandelier? I don't like, I don't <laughs> like the cut of his gym. <laughs> well, and that's where, like, part of the function of Adam Jerry's character is just every time someone offers a practical solution, she's sort of just like, but you can't. <laughs> yeah. And then it's He's like, got magical oh, realism. Oh, the one of the last points I wanted to bring up was the because we just did an episode on V for Vendetta. Yes. Uh, the trope the kidnapping slash re-education trope <laughs> kidnapping for your betterment exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah kidnapping with the intent being that i'm gonna teach you and you're gonna be mine and then you know just like uh yeah he's like i gave you time. music you belong to me you owe me something you owe me your body and your talent and your presence and it's just like ah why are you falling for this Right. And it's, you know, obviously done to a very selfish end. Mm -hmm. It barely has anything to do with Christine at all. It sort of seems like where he just, you know, wants companionship and wants hot companionship. (laughs) And uh, He should just fuck his wax doll. I mean, he for sure does. Yeah, but he for sure does. (laughs) That doll... Oof. Let's watch it Maybe again that's why she like, fainted. That she like smelled the uh, cur- like, <laughs> congealed phantom cum. Yeah. <laughs> phantom cum. Phantom Hey, speaking of other, other movies, uh-huh. uh, I would argue that there is a Titanic illusion in the beginning of Phantom <laughs> where <laughs> the, there's the big reveal. <laughs> go for it. Go bear for with it. me. Go bear with me. Oh, the, um, there's no, a big reveal uh, of, the, of the chandelier and then mm-hmm. that all of a sudden is oh, like, oh, we're going to transition. Yeah. Into the 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 opera. Oh, it's so it's so bad. But whenever everything is like dusty and shitty, and then it transitions into like a nice shiny thing. Look at these Schumacher nipples. Yeah, Yeah, the statue nipples. That I think is a uh, direct allusion to when in Titanic, when Mm. there's the shot of like the old, gross, grimy underwater Titanic, and then it fades into this like Schumacher's like worked for them. Yeah, Yeah. let's try it. This is also a sweeping romance. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, does anyone have any other final thoughts about the movie The Phantom of the Opera? I think the, the two people who do very well in this movie are Minnie Driver is great. Mm-hmm. I think Patrick Wilson escapes unscathed mm-hmm. and does as well as anyone could do in this movie. I'm also just, I but just love Patrick Wilson. He's good, but his character so Raul sucks. There's a reason so like, Raul's not his fault. Yeah, yeah. Raul's, he's a, he's a bland man. How about that and scene? And he's kind of pushy, and I don't care for him. What about that scene whenever she's sleeping in a room, gets up, and then goes to the cemetery and... He's just like sleeping outside of her room. Why is he doing? Is he? He's looking. I guess he's like protecting, to be protecting her. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that's that's why I would argue that that's a choice because she sneaks past him. Yeah. She doesn't ask for permission before true. she goes somewhere. She she does make an active choice in that role. Yeah. She does but, actively choose to rip his mask off. I forgot about that. Oh, that yeah. is true. Yeah. <laughs> but the the, the I wish, again wish something that makes a lot more sense in the book. Both, right. Yeah. yeah. Both yeah. times she does specifically that. tells her don't do this, and so she's like. <laughs> I think I'm going to do that. Yeah. I think, uh, 
I think I will, actually. <laughs> and that's a pretty 16-year-old girl thing to do. Like, oh, you told me not to do that thing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but in the movies, both times it happens, it feels so unmotivated. Like, mm-hmm. why is she doing... I, don't know. I, I also love the way it's, like, shot where he's just kind of, like piano like <laughs> ducking his head back and forth and well, I mean it's really funny in the show because she like reaches and he'll kind of like duck away like to write something <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff the reveal in the movie is so funny too because it's like that's not that bad yeah I don't know I mean like because I say like def- watch the live at the Royal Albert Hall version it used to be on Netflix um, I think it, maybe it still is might be like on Amazon or something now uh, because I, I watched it with one of my more cynical friends who had seen the Schumacher movie and that was all he had ever seen and like after he after that it was just like you know what I get it it's not for me, but like I, I get the Phantom thing because mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it, it is it is honestly like kind of impressive how much the movie fails to capture what worked about the show, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't really change much about the story. I am just going to go home and watch um, Moulin Rouge, the only musical I like, and South Park: Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Everything else, <laughs> I hate musicals. Hey, let's talk about whether or not the movie passes the Bechdel test. Okay, I'm going with no. Yeah, I don't I think so no. either. There is a scene early on when Christine talks to Meg, but they're talking about Raul. She's like, we were childhood sweethearts. He called me little Lottie or whatever. And then later on, they have a song where Christine and Meg sing to each other. And Christine is telling her about the angel of music. But they're talking about who she perceives to be a man who is sent. They're talking about the Phantom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, at this point, doesn't know who he is and seems to never figure it out through the entire movie. <laughs> There's a brief exchange between Madame Giry and Christine. Oh, this. No, it doesn't pass because this is after her first performance where she takes Carlotta's place. Mm. And Madame Giry is like, please. yeah, like you, <laughs> yeah. Did, you did very well. He's very pleased. Madame with Giry you. is now my least favorite character in this entire. Well, so <sighs> Madame Giry is just a whitewash because even you know, that character in the original novel was a Persian guy. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Who was never in any of the adaptations. Oh, Even in the Lon Chaney movie, they're like, psych, he's not actually Persian, he's a French guy. Oh. <laughs> well, I love that reveal of, like, yeah. actually, they were white the whole yeah. time. <laughs> like, like, in, like in The Hunchback. Yeah, she, yeah. She's not. She's, she's white. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, this is, an ex- like, 100% white. I don't think you see any people of color at any mm-hmm. point. In Which the is movie. funny, because in the original book, that was not the case. They're well, Hollywood well, whitewashing. You see, <laughs> you see some non-white people in the Phantom flashback. Oh, okay. But it, the portrayal is uh, not good. Oh, right. Well, they're I like, mean, ha-ha, you're gross. They yeah. were, it was like the circus was run by Roma, right? Right, yeah. Mm. I think that's also there in all of the, adi- or some of them. There's one book that like I despise and every Phantom, every other Phantom fan loves called Just Phantom by Susan <laughs> Kay. And it's in the romance novel section. And for you, I know you're out there getting mad. I can feel your anger. I don't care. Your hate <laughs> fuels me. Like, um, oof, boy. Because like during his time with the, you know, they use the G-slur, the Roma, they like kidnap him, put him in a circus, and there's one named Javert who uh. like tries to rape him, and it's oh, woof, huh. woof, <laughs> woof. Okay, well, okay, so that's a hard no on Phantom. <laughs> yeah, not Phantom. Phantom. Oh, they love it. They God. love it. The girls love it so much. Yeah, I don't. I mean, if women talk in the movie, they're always talking about either Raoul or her daddy or the Phantom. I don't think there's an exchange about He's something here. that's not. 
any of those people. Nope. Nope. So does not pass the test. Nope. Unsurprisingly. Um, let's rate the movie on our nipple <laughs> I scale. would actually say surprisingly because oh, uh, mm. musicals are usually a lot better at, about that. Yeah. And also no shortage of opportunity, even like from an adaptation point, like we never hear any of the many female dancers we see mm-hmm. all the time, any of the female chorus members, and there were missed opportunities oh, sure. sort of scattered. When I say unsurprisingly, well. I mean more that this movie is not good to women or does mm-hmm. not pra- portray them in a strong oh, way. Oh, for so sure. I'm speaking Joel more specifically to... Joel Schumacher does not know to, what to do with women. Oh, he sure doesn't. <laughs> so you have dark eyeshadow, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy, right? <laughs> Put the corset on the outside. <laughs> Some Captain Underpants. Schumacher, you're bad. He's so bad. Um, bad. Let's rate the movie on a nipple scale, where we rate the movie on a scale of zero to five nipples based on its portrayal of women. Uh I'm going to give it, I'm going to say a half nipple. (laughs) Because, hey, great that there is a woman in the story, even more than one. There's several. So that's pretty much the only positive thing about it. Uh, apart from that, it's a movie about a young woman, again, being gaslit by every person around her being seduced by an old creep. She is the object of his affection, emphasis on object, because she's really he literally, little. He literally objectifies her in the real, like he mm-hmm. turns her he, into an object. Yeah. Like a wax doll of yep. you. So. You like it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a dress. And she, uh, she faints. On. And then she wakes up and she's like, actually, I could see myself hanging out with him again. Yeah, he's my angel of music. It was just a bad first impression. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, and then her having no agency, no specific desire in the story, despite the fact that she's supposed to be the protagonist of the movie, the character that we're, you know, rooting for and plugging ourselves into and all that stuff. We have no idea what she wants. We hardly see her make any active choices or do anything. Decisions are either made for her or she just does fucking nothing and just stands by and watches. And then all the other female characters are similarly useless. Therefore, one half nipple, it belongs to the shiny um, golden statue nipple that we see in the very opening. (laughs) I just want to draw a parallel between uh, Christine meeting the Phantom and then meeting someone that you met online. (laughs) (laughs) He's like talking through the walls. She's like, he sounds great. He sounds so nice. He thinks I'm so pretty. And then you meet him and he's like, he's a murderer. Totally he fucks dolls. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've accidentally dated some doll fuckers. Not yeah. a good scene. Yeah. Not a good scene. But you never. You, then you see them. You're like, oh, for sure, you have a sword collection. For sure, you <laughs> fuck dolls. <laughs> oh, well, I don't want to hear about your katana, sir. Oh God, <laughs> that's I. I can I can think of three different examples of like going to a man's house for the first time and being like, okay, there's a sword. I better just like <laughs> see myself out. Yeah, um, hard pass. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna give Phantom of the Opera 2004 directed by Joel Schumacher. If you give it any more than zero nipples, I'm gonna be furious. I'm gonna give it two nipples. <gasps> I'm gonna do it. No, and I don't. I'm sorry. Yourself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. First of all, I'm sorry. You know what? I'm second I, of all, I not sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> sorry. Because not sorry. okay, Madame Jury, especially in this movie, garbage. Really like upset with her. Meg, nothing to do. We we don't know. 
Carlotta, I think, is a good character who's mistreated by the story, mm-hmm. particularly in this adaptation mm-hmm. where she's just receiving abuse from angry, poor people. Confusing. Um, so I, I like Carlotta, and I do, like, I think that Christine sort of, in this movie in particular, uh, and, and in the stage adaptation, suffers from the same thing that Bella Swan suffers from, where she is a very clear figure that a young audience can plug themselves into, sort of reacts to a lot of things, I think, and not too dissimilar to a way a teenage girl would, but then all the bad things that are happening to her are framed as good things. It, romantic. Romanticizes her being like, oh, just give in. <laughs> just, uh, oh, and give I, in to the abuse. The first the boy who pays attention to you, you're going to want to marry him. You know, <laughs> like, so it sucks to see, not realistic, but like a, a clear avatar that people can plug themselves into, have all the bad shit that happens to them framed as like, oh, yeah, just give up. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to give it two nipples. I have to. I have to. Well, then I take back my half nipple, <laughs> and I'm to. giving it zero just to when we average it out it, to lower How the score. Is this like worse than so many of the movies that we've seen? Though? Yeah, that's like, what I'm thinking. Is like, is what is the scale here? Because if it's on a scale of all movies, you know, <laughs> right, right? Where it's like there's so many. Maybe I'm biased because I hated this movie so much. For sure, but, but there's like. I mean, I feel like if this movie gets zero nipples, then Twilight would have to certainly. Get I think zero I gave nipples. Twilight. Pretty close to zero nipples. I mean, we didn't give it a lot. We didn't give it a lot. <laughs> I gave Transformers, I think, zero nipples. Like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's my thing. I'm like, if, I don't know, because like to me, zero nipples would be like Transformers three. You know, like because I'm just like compared to that, I'm like, boy, this is pretty good, you guys. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe it's because I watched a lot of Transformers. There, yeah. yeah, which is a great series. Yeah, that check you out Lindsay's. Watch. Oh yeah, the whole plate. The whole plate. It's my yes. series about film theory and Transformers. It's very good. It's great. Lots of lots of things I had certainly never thought about in regards to Transformers. <laughs> I think before. about Transformers a lot. <laughs> I don't know if it shows. I think on the scale of movies we've covered here, it certainly does not do well, but I don't know. I mean, I think we're biased in opposite directions. I'm certainly biased in wanting to give it more nipples than it deserves. Because I love it. Phantom Rules, I'm going to see it again. I'll see the movie again. I'll see the stage adaptation again. But I recognize that, uh, you know. Uh, feminist icon Phantom of the Opera <laughs> I think not no, no 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 two nipples Christine gets the nipples okay <laughs> alright yeah Lizzie what about you again for aforementioned reasons where if like zero is Transformers 3 I, I'm going to have to go with two and a half for reasons that you outlined. Mm. <laughs> like Carlotta, actually, no, I'm going to go back down to two because I feel like stage show I'd give more because Carlotta doesn't receive that and just abuse and like right. Christine is a little more, I mean, there's a lot of strange decisions in that. But, you know, I think the fact that Christine is just sort of like a cipher in this, you know, is a huge disservice. But at the same time, it's like, man. There's a lot of really bad representations out there on the grand scheme. I'm like, eh, it's better than Twilight. It is better than <laughs> Twilight. I don't know. I think it's about around the same. Really? I, 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 I feel like that ending, though, because like, she she ends up with Edward. She does not end up with the Phantom. Right, right. But then she ends mm-hmm. up with Raul, who had also been gaslighting her and like being all weird. And he's like, you're a woman, so I need to protect you. And also, there is no Phantom of the Opera. You're crazy. But you also, know, give, the man, give the man some room to you know be wrong. Like, <laughs> he, can't, sure. he can't be perfect. It, it, <laughs> it gotta changes, have room to grow. It changes yeah. my view of Raul a little bit that they're supposed to be the same age. I think that that's another sort of thing that is almost never true on, in the stage mm-hmm. version or and certainly not in the movie movie version where they never 
appear to be the same age. In reality, if they are, if, you know, suspend your disbelief, Patrick Wilson and Emmy Rossum are the same age, sure. That makes Raul a little more palatable. I mean, I still don't like that character. I just, well, like, it's, yeah, because, like, there's no, there is no Raul fandom in the grand, like, everyone There's lo- no Team Raul. Yeah, there's no Team Raul. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> well, gang, that was the Phantom of the Opera episode. <laughs> Hope you liked it. I am so I, glad we did it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really me glad. Me too. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. And I'm, I'm, of all the topics, I'm glad it was this one. Yay. One of my favorites. <laughs> and where, uh, where can people people find you online well i uh, like on youtube it's uh my name on youtube is just my name is Lindsay ellis you can also find me on twitter at, at the Lindsay ellis awesome yay you can follow us on all the platforms twitter instagram facebook everything yeah. at bechdel cast you can donate to our patreon if you do it's five dollars a month and you get two bonus episodes a month of the podcast hey that's so, fun yeah and you can go to patreon.com slash to do that we strongly encourage it because it helps with our production costs and then we have great bonus episodes for you guys the fans the with ph i love it i love it also you should go to our live show oh my god Oh my word! Oh, heavens to Betsy! <laughs> Wait, what does Kathy Bates say? Oh my in stars Titanic. and stripes! God Almighty! God Almighty! <laughs> That's what she says. She says, "God Almighty." What we're trying to say is that we have a live show in Los Angeles. We sure do. At God the Almighty. Nerdist Showroom at Meltdown Comics. Yeah, we're it's... sitting on top of it right oh now. God, it's on. Saturday, December 2nd yes. at 7 p.m. Yes. We have a guest. Her name is Deborah DiGiovanni. You know her, you love her. She's one of our most popular episodes of all time. Love, actually. But this time, we are talking with her about Die Hard. Bing, 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 a Christmas movie. That's dripping with masculinity. Oh, we cannot wait to <laughs> yell and scream. <laughs> so, if you're in SoCal, baby... Check it out, you dude. You can't say SoCal without SoCal, saying baby. dude. SoCal baby, rock on, <laughs> surfers, and also longboards. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they say every time they talk about the area we call SoCal baby. <laughs> so if you're there in that area, please come to our live show. Um, tickets are only $10. And if you do come, bring some feminine hygiene products yes because we're going to donate them to an organization called project caged birds they do a lot of help with like victim advocacy of Mm. intimate partner abuse so we love that organization so please yes bring something with you and come to the goddamn show you're gonna have a blast it's gonna be so we've got a special we got a lot of treats planned treat you might get a free movie ticket out of it not to spoil anything but we talked about it yesterday and this time we made a plan (laughs) So, hot brag. We are. We're trying up here. We're ready. Season two. We're prepared. (laughs) Can't wait to try up here. Season two, Saturday, December 2nd. Yeah. See you there. Bye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them 
And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.